Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, March 31st. Today on the show, the final four is set. The Preds try to keep their winning streak going, and David Ubbin of The Athletic will give us some insight into Tennessee Volunteers' spring practice. Also, make sure you check out that special announcement pod as well. The 440 is built every morning for you by The Kingston Group, award-winning, locally-owned, custom home and remodeling firm. We all know that building a new home or deciding to, to do a major remodel is obviously a hugely complicated decision. This is where The Kingston Group's process is what has made them successful. You will sit down with them, work through the entire project step-by-step, and you'll know all of that before you sign any contracts, before you sign any paperwork. And they're going to make sure you get it. If you don't like what they lay out, you walk away. No harm, no foul. But here's the deal. I guarantee you won't walk away because they're going to lay out such a perfect process for you. You can't help but invest in your home. They're going to do it the right way. And that is why we are partnered with the Kingston Group and proud to have them as our title sponsor here on the 440. Go check out the website, buildkg.com. That's buildkg.com. Go check them out, the Kingston Group. Spring practice is underway in Knoxville for the Tennessee Volunteers. So let's bring in David Ubbin of The Athletic to talk all things Big Orange. We're going to talk about reasonable expectations for this team in 2021. We're going to talk about some of the areas on the roster that might be better than we all think. What skills does Josh Heupel value the most when deciding on a quarterback? And we start with what his biggest concern is for Tennessee football this spring. You can't hide from the talent drain, right? It is what it is. You can say, oh, you know, I don't know how helpful those guys were anyway, but they were still starting. Like, you know, that, that is what it is. Tennessee has lost as much talent to the transfer portal as anybody in the country. And you're going to feel that. It's everywhere. You know, linebacker. Obviously, it's taken front and center the last couple uh, couple weeks. Um, you know, Kovarez Crouch and Harry Toloto as they sort of plot their future. But you know, the offensive line, you know, you lose Wanye Morris, Trey Smith to the pros, of course. Uh, you know, Key Lawrence didn't contribute a whole lot last year, but he's still the highest rated recruit in your 2020 class. I mean, guys all over the place. Obviously, Eric Gray, you know, their top two rushers uh, from last year, Ty Chandler to North Carolina, Eric Gray to OU. But that's just the biggest thing is that, you know, Josh Heupel – inherited a program that has this NCAA storm clouds, but just the the sheer volume of talent that left the program is something that, quite honestly, we've literally never seen in the sport before. When you look at the quarterbacks, obviously they all have different skills. They do things differently. What, what skill set do you think that Josh Heupel wants the most? Like what skill do you think he, is it experience? Is it mobility? Is it decision-making? What, what is it the thing that you think Josh Heupel's offense demands the most? Decision-making easily. <laughs> you know, we've kind of pressed on him quite a bit when we've talked to him about that very thing because we know Tennessee obviously has a, a legitimate quarterback battle. I think it's mostly a two-man shot between Harrison Bailey um, and, and Hendon Hooker, but it's who can run this offense. And it is not a super complex offense, um, but who can run it, make the plays, put the ball where it needs to be consistently. I think you know, the leg stuff is not really going to be a huge influence if they've got them, they're going to use them. If they don't have them, they'll tweak it. We've seen that through Josh Heupel's career, you know, going from Drew Locke to going to, you know, Mackenzie Milton to Dylan Gabriel and, and Daryl Mack and those guys. He can kind of change the offense a little bit based on what they have, but it's mostly just decision-making, putting the ball in the right place, getting them in the right play, all those things. If you can do that, you're going to win this job. But are there any areas of concern that you think may have some options? There may be some guys that are there to maybe fill some of those voids. 
or are you still just like terrified about the entire depth chart? I mean, you got to feel pretty good about Jabari Small last year. Um, you know, you lose Ty Chandler, you lose Eric Gray. You know, Ty Chandler was very good. I don't know that he was special. Eric Gray looked like he was special, but Jabari Small looked like a guy last year. Every time he touched the ball, he was coming with intensity. He was a guy that looked like, man, it's too crowded ahead of him, but he deserves more carries. I mean, he looked really, really good. But when you got Eric Gray and Ty Chandler, there just wasn't that opportunity. You've got some pieces there. Um, I think he's a guy that, that is going to be the Bill Cow back, and we'll see what they do with D Beckwith, T Hodge. They kind of have some bodies there, but I think Jabari Small is the biggest one that you got to feel really good about. You know, they didn't lose a ton to the transfer portal receiver in Josh Palmer to the pros, Brandon Johnson to UCF, uh, ironically, actually. But when you look at Jalen Hyatt and Velas Jones, two guys that are burners and speed in this offense means as much as anything, being able to get over the top. And those two guys, their skill set really, really fit what this offense does. Um, you know, get vertical, haul it in and make a play. And so, you know, not so much the transfer portal, but I think no two guys on this whole roster have as much to gain from last year um, to this year as Valus Jones, the senior, who's really stepped up as kind of a leader for this team, and Jalen Hyatt. Um, guys, neither one of them has got a 300-yard season ever. I, I think they're both going to go over five, six, seven, eight hundred yards this year. Do you have any ability to pinpoint a reasonable expectation for this team in 2021? Well, you look at the schedule, I mean, the floor is pretty high just because they don't have that big-time non-conference game. I mean, they have three gimmies, basically. And then you got Pitt, which is kind of a coin flip, but Pitt, you never know what you're going to get. So you might beat them by 20. You might give up 50, right? But if you can win those four, that's four games right there. And then you're looking around and you're saying, okay, you got Vanderbilt. You're going to have some advantages there. We'll see what Kentucky has to offer. Then you get into South Carolina. Mizzou is probably going to be a better team than Tennessee this year. South Carolina, I imagine, will be relatively equal, like it seems like every year. Uh, and then can you steal a couple? You know, Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss is going to be a handful. If you got at home, do you, can you slow them down? Can you get in a, a foot race with them and win that? I don't know, but it wouldn't be the, you know, nobody's going to, the world's not going to stop rotating on its axis if Tennessee beats Ole Miss. So, you know, I, this looks like a five-ish win team. The ceiling is probably six or seven would be my guess um, because you're back in that zone where you just have a ton of unwinnable games. You're not going to beat Georgia. You're not going to beat Alabama. You're not going to beat Florida. It is what it is, but you don't have that non-conference game at Oklahoma stacked on top of this too. Good timing, at least they didn't play that last year because if they play that this year, not only are you playing Oklahoma in Oklahoma, but then you got Eric Gray, you got Wanya Morris, you got Key Lawrence on the other sideline. It sort of brings to the forefront this whole talent drain issue so the short answer is i think five to seven wins depending on you know how things shake out it's tough to imagine them going like much worse than that i mean below four wins i'm not even sure how you get there that's that's disaster territory always a pleasure my friend thank you for giving us a few minutes we do appreciate it thank you anytime the predators just kept collecting points on tuesday night two more to be exact but it took some work for the third straight game against the hated Dallas Stars, Nashville won in overtime. Callie Yarncroke scored with less than five minutes to go in the game to tie it up at two goals apiece, also tying Philip Forsberg for the team lead in goals in the process, by the way. Adam Vingan, are you listening? All Callie Yarncroke does is score goals. Then a minute and a half into overtime, Ellie Tolvanen got behind the defense and buried a backhanded game winner. His ninth of the season, which is good for third on the team. UC Saros was excellent again in net. Since coming back from injury, Saros is 5-1 and, and has allowed a grand total of six goals. 
It was the Preds' sixth straight win and the eighth win in nine games, and the Nashville Predators now sit at 19-17-1 on the year. With just 19 games left to go in the season and less than two weeks left until the trade deadline, the Preds are dead in the middle of a four-team playoff race for one spot, and scoreboard watching is now Smashville's newest pastime. Chicago and Columbus both won on Tuesday, and so the Preds are still tied with the Blackhawks for the final playoff spot in the Central Division. Here we go, folks. This is about to get real interesting. Be sure you subscribe to the Gold Standard Podcast with myself and the aforementioned Mr. Vingan from The Athletic. It comes out every Wednesday, and we certainly had a lot to talk about on this week's episode. The Preds are back on the ice on Thursday against Dallas at 7 p.m. The final four is set, and we have two one seeds, a two seed, and an 11 seed, and not one team east of the Mississippi for the first time in history. Think about that. UCLA became just the fifth 11th seed ever to make the final weekend, all of which are tied for the record for the worst seeds to ever make a Final Four appearance. The Bruins beat Michigan in an ugly but absolutely thrilling Elite Eight matchup, 51-49. A huge congrats to former OVC head coach Mick Cronin. But I'll say it, because we're all thinking it, even if it might be a touch negative after a huge career-defining win for Cronin, UCLA just makes Gonzaga's path to the national championship game that much easier, and I bet ratings for that bloodbath will be low. Now, don't get me wrong, my four-year-old loves her some Cinderella, man, sleeps with Cinder every night, in fact. But Real Hoops fans, we want to see the best teams in America compete for the crown, and that is not what is going to happen in at least one half of the bracket next weekend. Early in the night, Gonzaga continued on its march to a national championship with yet another easy tournament win. Frankly, Elite Eight games are not supposed to be this easy. Zaga dispatched USC 85-66 in Tuesday's regional final. It's the program's second Final Four appearance in school history and the second in the last five years. You name a part of the game, and Gonzaga is damn near perfect at it. I know that the UCLA win was ugly, But watching the Zags is like sitting in the pit for a perfectly orchestrated basketball symphony. But if I had to choose, I would take the two ugly defensive teams throwing haymakers for 40 minutes over a beautiful blowout every single time. Houston and Baylor will square off in an old-fashioned Southwestern Conference duel as the first matchup on Saturday in the Final Four at 4.15 p.m. Central Time. Baylor is a five-point favorite in that one. On the other half of the bracket, the nightcap will feature the heavily favored Sags team against UCLA. Regardless of how we got here, how many upsets there have been, or how popular the tournament has been, Gonzaga and Baylor would still be an insanely good national championship matchup. And it would make me a little money. Gonzaga over Houston would be a pretty sick title game too. Basically, what I think I'm saying is that that most of America is rooting against UCLA this weekend. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Special thanks to our title sponsor, the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. Be sure to check out the website. That's buildkg.com. That's buildkg.com. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.